What's going on, everybody? We are a family of nerds. My name's McFly. You guys are just going to get me again today. The next one should include Greg. We're glad to be back. This is going to be the second installment of the return of Family of Nerds. This is a podcast about nothing. Today, we got a lot to talk about. I know that my last one was kind of a quick and easy podcast, but I actually wanted to get down to some important topics today. Since we last spoke, I think the last show that that we had all watched was Winter Falcon, which there was a lot of good things and bad things about it. Uh, There's a lot of things that I liked about it, but I wanted to kind of get into a quick overall ranking of the MCU Disney shows. And this is not like a in any particular order. I'm essentially going to give a particular sentence rating to each of the shows. I want to start with WandaVision. I'm saying WandaVision was the most entertaining. I think it was creative. It was different. I had all sorts of emotions in it. You had a heart, heart-wrenching scenes. It had a lot of character building. And I think it gave her character justice. I know a lot of the complaint in all of these movies were, you know, her powers weren't being used as they should. I mean, she essentially was like a telekinetic, essentially, uh, instead of what her powers are actually supposed to be like, oh, look, she can lift this box. That's awesome. But uh, but I think this show actually gave her, it did her character justice. It showed how powerful she actually can be. I mean, she took control of a whole city and had 20 and 30 people's minds that she was controlling that whole time. So she's, with grief, she saw her true powers, right? And I think that's really, really cool way of looking at it and i think the mcu does a really good job of kind of finding interesting ways to get the characters to realize their true power they've missed on a lot of them they've missed on a lot of them but i think for a lot of the important characters like wanda like scarlet witch they get that right and i think that's really really cool i think the whole dynamic with vision being there but not really being there uh, while it was fun i think it was kind of heart-wrenching to see him die Yet again, thanks MCU for that. But I think this was the most entertaining. I think it was very unique in the first three episodes with Standing. Well, I think that's part of the uniqueness, but how it kind of, she was playing out her life as if it was a sitcom and the sitcoms that she watched when she was a kid, you know? I just think artistically, this was a very different and very unique show. And I I appreciate that. I think the writing uh, was really, really good in this show. I think this is probably in the top two of the MCU Disney Plus shows, if not the best one. But I really, really enjoyed that. And you guys obviously know if you listen to the podcast how much we enjoyed that. Best written MCU Disney Plus show, I think, is Loki. I personally enjoyed this one the most. And I know I gave WandaVision the most entertaining, but this is kind of a overall encompassing. I personally enjoyed Loki the most, but I also think it was the best written show. And there's multiple reasons for that, mainly considering the fact that uh, the dynamic between Loki and the TVA is really cool. And this is in the way in the future, right? That Loki ends up in because of the TVA and the fact that they're controlling the narrative and they're controlling the future and trying to set forward the right path that they believe is the right path for everybody. This brings in the variants and stuff, which is kind of part of the multiverse, which is very important moving forward in the MCU, as we all know, with the multiverse of madness coming out and Spider-Man No Way Home. This is all very important stuff. And this show is kind of the beginning the crux of the multiverse so i do like i do like that him i think the funniest thing about this show is essentially they're showing how narcissistic he is by falling in love with a variant of himself that is a female it's still him it's a different him but it's still loki so he's falling in love with himself essentially and we've all known him to be a super narcissist right it's just a funny cool way that the mc shows that he's a 
a narcissist. So I got a kick out of that. The standout in this show, I think, was Owen Wilson. And I really, really do hope to see him in the MCU reprises role there. I, I think I was surprised that they had picked him to be in it, but I think he did an excellent job in this because there was a lot of dramatic scenes in it. And he did well with those. And obviously he was part of the comic relief. Tom Hiddleston does a great job with that himself. But I think that was great to have Owen Wilson in the show. And I think he was kind of the best character, in my opinion. As I mentioned before, the the kind of the most interesting part of this show, besides all of the cool, uh, you know, interwoven timelines and, and how all of it comes together and bringing in variants and, and all that stuff and how they ri- wrote all that together was very, it flowed very well and it made sense to, you know, the casual fan and, and to the the fans who are extremely, extremely into the comics. The multiverse is actually essentially opened up and caused by Sylvie and Loki's actions. So this is the tie-in for the multiverse, right? I mean, we see at the end where the timeline split off and that's where the multiverse comes deeply into play. Really good show. Again, this is, it's hard for me to pick between WandaVision and Loki, which one I like the best, but it's between those two. And there could be an argument. There's an argument to be made for both of them being in the top. So love those, both those shows. All right, Hawkeye. So this was the last one that I watched and it's the one that came out most recently. Overall, I liked this show. I thought it was refreshing to have a more simplified show for Marvel considering, you know, WandaVision and Loki were kind of big budget like CGI fests with a bunch of ethereal stuff going on. I like that this was a little bit more simple. Uh, than what we've been getting besides, you know, Winter Falcon obviously was more simple, just action show, right? It felt more of a fun ride as opposed to a brain twister like those other shows are like Loki and WandaVision. And I think that's a good thing to kind of mix it up a little bit. Plus Hawkeye is a, you know, while he's one of the coolest Avengers, I think, honestly, uh, he's one of the more simple heroes, right? Just like Black Widow, because they're human beings. They have no superpowers. It's just really cool to see that. But and I, he was long overdue to have his own show, which is great. And I think them playing on the impact that Nat has on Clint throughout the whole show is important because she had an effect on all of the Avengers, especially him, especially Hulk, right? And honestly, let's be real, Black Widow wasn't that great and it didn't do her character justice like I hoped it would. Unlike the WandaVision show did for Wanda, I think the Black Widow show just fell flat for a lot of us. And I would have wished that they had done it before she had died so it had a little bit more gravitas i i think the timing of it was just it just wasn't good the whole issue going on with marvel and disney and her and and them kind of butting heads about the contract and how the movie was going to be released and stuff i think took a little bit of toll on the movie as well it's just unfortunate and i think that's the elephant in the room for that movie but we're talking about hawkeye although i'm happy they brought in the best the best thing from that movie which is Yelena. I think we need more Yelena. I think we need Yelena, Yelena, Yelena. Anytime she can come in, I'm happy to have her. She's probably one of the most fun and awesome characters right now in this current phase of the MCU. Anytime I see her, I'm happy. So I, I think she's kind of the, the, one of the more outstanding characters right now. The dynamic between Kate and Clint were great. I think Kate Bishop's going to be an awesome character moving forward. Um, I also think that Haley Steinfeld did a great job as Kate. Um, I knew she was a good actor. I kind of had my reservations at first of her being Kate Bishop just because of what she's done in the past. I've kind of learned my lesson on that, though, with with the Batman and what's coming up with that to kind of not judge them by the projects they've done, but the work they put in into those projects. So she did a great job. And 
Uh, I'm loving this rendition of Echo that they're doing. It's really interesting. It's really cool. And the fact that they could bring in a deaf character is really cool and really interesting. And I'm happy that they brought that in. And I'm excited to see where that show's going to go. And we, we got to talk. We got we to talk. We got to talk, guys. How exciting was it to see Wilson Fisk in this show? I mean, we all saw No Way Home. Spoilers for No Way Home. We all saw No Way Home. We saw Daredevil in the first 10 minutes of the movie. But it was cool to see Fisk in this. And how logical and how smart was it for episode six, which was Wilson Fisk's episode reveal to come out the day before the release of No Way Home. I mean, it's Marvel's so good at this. I, 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 I'm, I'm happy with how they did it, but it was so cool to see him. And there's a lot of people who are getting mad at how he's being depicted in the show. This, the way he's being depicted in this show was more accurate to the comics. They kind of brought him down to earth for Daredevil. And while I do think his character in Daredevil is a lot more believable than he is in this show. This is more comic book accurate. And that's what we're going to get from the MCU. So for those of you who weren't happy with it, you got to get used to it because this is just how it's going to be. He's like an overpowered human being who doesn't feel pain and, and has a pain tolerance up up the butt. So I, I get used to it, guys. This is how it's going to be. Last thing on this, because I spent a lot of time on this. I don't think he's dead at the end. I know in the comics, she shoots him and... He survives. She shoots him in the head and he survives, but he goes blind. And then he gets a surgery to give him his vision back. There's also a rendition in the comics where she shoots the gun next to his ears to make him go deaf. And then he has surgery to fix that as well. So there's a bunch of different ways they can go about it. The fact they didn't show him get shot is just them playing with our heart. So let's do a recap. Most entertaining show, Wanting Division. Best written, Loki. Best all around, I said was Hawkeye for many different reasons. You can tell why with all the things I talked about. The biggest disappointment, I honestly have to say it's Winter Falcon. Now, the parts that were good about Winter Falcon were really good. I enjoyed the character redemption and development between Sam and Bucky. The whole dynamic of them being like a couple that needs therapy, right, was really cool to me. I, I really like that dynamic. I think the coolest thing actually that they did was the life imitating art in the show where Sam's kind of unsure about becoming Cap due to the fact that he's a black man in America. I think there's a lot of fans that were mad that Sam uh, Wilson was going to be the next Captain America at the end of Endgame. A lot of people up in arms about it. Yes, there's those people that exist, guys. That They were up in arms about it. They brought it up in the show, in the world of that the show is in, that it's an issue. And I appreciate that the show took that chance to do that and sort of not only address the fan base that was frustrated with it, but just in general, you know, the, the people in the show, the characters in the show, it's kind of addressing him becoming the next Captain America. And it also, you know, addresses many of the questions regarding his character as well, where it's going to go, go next and stuff. Same thing with Bucky. I think the standout in this show was John Walker. His character is highly misunderstood. Uh, his character has a lot of issues to deal with internally. And I really do think his intentions were solid. He wanted to be the best rendition of Captain America that he could be on his own terms. It's just that he's a troubled soldier. Um, and it's something that's all too common really is having that troubled soldier trying to do right. But they only know how to, you know, use anger and, and, and emotion to, to drive them. And that can get you in trouble. That was something that Steve was very good at for the most part was, uh, making sure his emotions didn't get the best of him. Um, and that's kind of where 
John Walker's character falters, but I'm excited to see him be U.S. agent. I think his character will develop into a good character. And while he was immensely horrific in this show in regards to the things that he did, I think his intentions were good. And let's face it, guys, even though Bucky was, you know, mentally not there himself, he was being brainwashed. He did a lot worse things than John Walker did. So you kind of got to take things with a grain of salt. Those were the goods of the show. The action sequences were great also. And then the acting chops of of, of, of uh, Anthony Mackie. Just the acting in general was very good. That's always a thing in the MCU. The acting is usually pretty good. Where this show lacks was in its execution. While I appreciated them discussing that race issue and its importance in the passing of the S.H.I.E.L.D. hat to become the next Captain America, I do not like how it was executed in the end. I think they tried to force the issue a little bit with Sam's speech at the end. The speech was fine, and I think that's something that Steve Rogers lacked was kind of being that driving force in his communication to the world and and all that. He was a very quiet, humble person. He didn't speak. He did everything through action. And what Sam's trying to do be is different. He wants to be that symbol of hope by not only acting, but also, you know, through speech, through being that kind of political force as well. Because he has a large task ahead of him, being a, the first black American hero, right? Uh, in, in this world. And I think that's important. And like I said, I think that part of it is something that people could argue that Steve was definitely missing for his part of being Captain America. And I would tend to agree with you. But I think having Sam ha- say this powerful speech to the, you know, the politicians with all those, this group of people around him, while his buddies are in the back actually fighting and doing things, I think that that kind of hit, hit me in the wrong way. I just don't like how that appeared for him. It made him look like he's putting on a show of being a superhero while he has other people doing his dirty work. That's not how it is. We know that. But the way that that looks is not very good. And I just think the execution on that front wasn't, it wasn't as good as I thought it could be. And I don't think it, they did a very good job of making it as powerful as it could have. You know, they could have all been doing all the dirty work together, got the bad guy, saved everybody, and they all could have been there standing in their superhero poses while he makes a speech. They didn't do it that way. And and it, I feel like that missed, it was a missed opportunity there. So there's one show here that's missing, and I saved it till the end. The sentence writing I put for this is, didn't finish. <laughs> I did start What If, but I did not finish it because I was trying to get through the movies I hadn't seen yet. The Eternals, Shang-Chi, which I haven't finished yet, and Black Widow. I hadn't seen that yet. So I'm just trying to get through all these movies first before I watch What If, because I know there's stuff drawn from each of these movies. I think except for um, Shang-Chi and Eternals, because those are newer than the show. But... um. But it looks to be the outlier, the show, in a sense that one, it's animated. Two, it's taking none of the none of the heroes from this world, right? But it does seem to be the most important show outside of Loki to for the multiverse of madness. And I've seen enough of it and kind of seen breakdowns online to make sense of the Ma- multiverse of madness trailer. But I think this show is going to be they're going to take a lot from this show and put it into the multiverse of madness. So I think that's that's important. So those are kind of my ratings. In summation, I think the most entertaining show so far has been WandaVision. Uh, I think the best written show was Loki. Again, I think WandaVision could be argued that that was also greatly written. I just think altogether with everything that was going on in Loki, I think that it was executed very well. So that I gave that one best written. Best all around, I think, is Hawkeye. Just I really enjoyed the show and the characters in that. The biggest disappointment is Winter Falcon. 
And then I didn't finish What If yet, so I'm not going to give it an actual sentence rating for that. All right. So as you guys know, and if you don't know, Microsoft bought Activision Blizzard for $68 billion. If anything, that just shows you how much money Microsoft has. And even in doing that, they're still the third largest video game company in terms of overall net worth, which is crazy to think about because 68 billion is massive amounts of money, but it shows they're serious about their part in the gaming industry. And I know there's always a fight between, you know, Sony and Microsoft and Xbox and PlayStation. And look, my opinion, get over it. It doesn't matter what console you have. As long as you enjoy playing your video games, I don't care what console you have. The only time I care is if I'm trying to play with y'all, right? My friends, most of them have Xbox. I have an Xbox. I also grew up playing PlayStation. So I'm a PlayStation head that also has an Xbox so I can play with my friend. Not all of you can afford to have both. And I totally understand that. But let's not get on people because they're Xbox or they're PlayStation. It's childish. There's other things in the world to worry about than whether somebody's buying an Xbox or PlayStation. It don't matter. If they enjoy it, let them enjoy it. Let them have nice things. All right? Cool. So back to this. The acquisition is expected to close in July, between July and the summer and the end of summer 2023. A lot of a lot of space there. Essentially, they're giving themselves a year and a half to finish this acquisition, right? We know that the CEO is stepping down once this acquisition is complete, which is a good thing of of uh, Activision because he needs to go. Just to name a few of the uh, game franchises that they're going to get, and this is massive: Call of Duty, Overwatch, World of Warcraft. Like two two of those are massive ones, especially Call of Duty, and we're going to get into that. Candy Crush, etc. So lots of them, and Microsoft already has Bethesda and and and, and all those all those games. Um, Sony still has that competitive edge when it comes to exclusives. I think, I just think Xbox has, you know, Halo, which is great. And I think the last one left a lot to be desired. The single player was fine. It was good. It wasn't bad. I just think Xbox has been lacking essentially since Halo 2, in my opinion. Sony has had more, arguably more uh, fun and innovative exclusives. But again, it's all about preference. So if you guys don't like it, that's fine. I like, I prefer them. Microsoft Xbox is making a fight for it to be the most convenient gaming company, especially if a lot of these games that they just acquired, especially Call of Duty, are going to be on Game Pass. The whole issue that we've been going through with Call of Duty is that you got to pay $60 to buy this game that's unfinished. Or now you can wait a couple months and they'll be on Game Pass and you can just play it. I think this is going to change essentially the just how gaming is going to work for the future. And I think Game Pass is hard to beat. And as a PlayStation originator, grew up with PlayStation, like I said before, I think it's hard to deny how good Xbox Game Pass is. Sony was a denier of Game Pass, and they said, oh, we don't need that, and it's not the future. And they're doubling back on that now. They're trying to create their own Game Pass. PlayStation now is cool. It's not the same, though. It doesn't have as hefty of a game selection. Xbox is definitely, Microsoft is definitely ahead of the game with this Game Pass right now. And it's changed the games for gamers like myself who have cross-play action. I like to play on PC now because I have my PC set up. And I don't want to play on Xbox anymore. I want to be able to play on PC. All of the Xbox exclusives and pretty much most of the 80% of the stuff on Game Pass now I can play on my PC, which is awesome. But this is the most important thing here now because you guys have seen my videos and you guys know that I love playing Call of Duty. Call of Duty games 
when this happened, right, all the Call of Duty lovers were scared that they weren't going to be able to play on PlayStation because I think it's like 65% of the Call of Duty players in general are on PlayStation just because uh, it was originally a PlayStation game first from the very inception of Call of Duty. It's easier for the casual gamer to get it on PlayStation, etc. and so forth. It is all of the releases come out first on on PlayStation. So all of these things play a factor into majority of them playing Call of Duty on PlayStation. People were scared that that was going to go away and it was just going to be an Xbox game, an Xbox franchise. For now, until at least 2023, they're going to be on PlayStation, which is a good sign. Again, this doesn't affect me anymore, but for all the people who... I have friends that are play on PlayStation and play Call of Duty on PlayStation. I know that they were nervous about this and it's going to be on PlayStation until at least 2023. The fact that though that they didn't say that nothing's going to change, it's possible that it's going to be an Xbox exclusive after that. Now, I know people are going to be up in arms, but look, this is the nature of the game. Companies are going to buy out other companies to get a competitive advantage. It's just how business works. It's how the world works. If you're a Call of Duty fan, whether you play on PlayStation or not, this should still make you happy. It's obvious Call of Duty has been in the dumps for their longest time. I mean, they created their own union within Activision because of everything that's going on with Call of Duty and everything that's going on in the culture of the company. Microsoft acquiring Blizzard Activision, they essentially said they're going to let them run as they have. But I know for a fact, higher ups in Microsoft are going to make sure that they fix the cultural issues there. They have to. If they don't, then they're going to look bad. I think it's just, they have to. It's going to be a mess if they don't. I think that part of it is good. There's a lot of goods. Don't get me wrong. There's a lot of positives from this. I think, though, that this is bad for overall, for just the overall competition in the gaming industry. Just like what's happening with streaming, right? We got Netflix. We have a bunch of streaming platforms, right? We have Netflix, Paramount+, Plus, Apple, all that stuff. Disney now, for strictly movie and entertainment company purposes, owns over 72% of the entertainment industry. 72%. The the reason they can get away with that is because as long as there's one major company left standing besides them, it's not a monopoly. This is essentially what's happened. Microsoft could have bought Sony and they would have been the biggest company. Whether Sony would sell to them, I don't know. But they could have definitely bought Sony, but they didn't. They bought everybody else so that they could have, they could be the leading competitor now for Sony, which they already were. But I think the problem with this is now there's less competition. There's, you know, Sony has its subsidies that it owns a lot of the gaming companies, but a lot of those that were part of a lot of the main franchises on so- for Sony have now been acquired by Xbox because of this. I hate to say that it's bad because whenever companies get better and it means better content for us, I think it's overall a good thing. But for the overall competition and what it means to make sure that games are up to a standard because of the threat of outside forces like other companies, I think it's a bad thing. But we'll see how how this turns out. I think overall, this is a very, very good thing to see in general, that companies are at least making the effort to go in and and try to get the upper hand. But uh, I'm curious to see how this is going to go and what's going to happen. I'm going to I want to wait and see this if Microsoft's going to get complacent and just let Activision and Blizzard do their thing as they have been and they're just doing this for the money or if they're actually trying to make better content when it comes to gaming. So, we will see how that goes. Um last topic for the day, 
and this is an important one I want to talk about is Twitch and its overall competition with YouTube. I know that Tim the Tatman and Ludwig moved over as well as Dr. Lupo. I think that in and of itself says a lot, but I want to talk about some of the things that Twitch has implemented and kind of where YouTube is kind of in competition with Twitch because that's what this is, is a competition. I'm not going to talk about Facebook because I think that's its own thing in a sense that it's, it's not in the top of the streaming platforms, but it's a close third. But I also think it's its own little, it's, it's its own little entity niche for streaming. And I'll get into that at another time. A few months ago, Twitch gave creators a new way to kind of push their stream out to more people, to reach more people. Uh, They call it the stream boost. Now, the way it works is if you essentially want your stream boosted, your viewers have to go in and pay money to have it boosted to a certain amount of people. There's different tiers. Um, You have to have a certain amount of of followers and certain amount of average viewers to be able to use this feature. Essentially, it's Twitch making more money for you to boost your stream to viewers who may not otherwise see it. So on the surface, it sounds like an awesome way for you to get or noticed and for people to come upon a stream who otherwise would not be doing so. The problem with that is that it's leaving out a lot of streamers. The fact that only people who have 200 average viewers and have to have 2000 followers, you're leaving out a majority of the streamers. So you're, this is working for about the top 10% of streamers who are already pretty well know, noticed and pretty well, pretty popular without this feature. And they're getting to get even more notoriety, to get noticed even more. It leaves out the new streamers. It leaves out their 10 viewer Andes, the 30 viewer Andes, even the 50 viewer Andes. There's a lot of partners who can't use this. And I read that they're going to change that and partners essentially will get to be put into these to this group whether they have the other requirements or not but i don't think this is a great way for twitch to help its view its streamers and there's a lot of people saying like yeah you have to spend money to be able to make money and that's all fine and dandy people who stream are not streaming necessarily to have this be just another business that they're running this is a fun way to build a community while also making some money on the side. That's at least how I see it. Now, there are a lot of people who come to Twitch or come to streaming in general and do it as a side income, as a side hustle. And they want to make as much money as they can. And they'll be fine with this. And that's totally fine. There's those people out there. But I think on the surface, this is really, really shysty and really ethically wrong for Twitch to be doing this. Um, But there's a lot of other things besides this that I think Twitch is starting to to fail its viewers and especially fail its streamers. The culture on Twitch has been toxic for a while. We all know that the hot tub fad, which is still around, is because of the viewers themselves wanting to watch those types of streams. They wouldn't be around still if it wasn't popular. Now, I personally don't have an issue with those streamers who are doing the hot tub streams. If you have assets, no matter what they are, you should definitely use that to your advantage. That's the whole point of making money. That's the whole point of being in a business and being self-employed is that you're using what you're good at, using your assets to your advantage to make money. I don't have an issue with that. They're finding the loopholes and they're using that to their advantage. That's not the issue with the hot tub streams or anything close to that. 
It's with the viewers. If you've ever been into one of those streams and you've hung out in chat and looked at what people saying, 90% of the chat is just creepy men trying to get them to do things and treating them as objects. There is the 10% of chatters in it who are just supporting the streamer. Um, but for the most part, it's creepers, it's plebs, it's weebs, whatever you want to call them. I think that's one thing that's holding Twitch back from taking the next step. This part has been a huge, huge, huge issue for years and years on Twitch. And I think Twitch is inconsistent with its own TOS in that it picks and chooses when it wants to hold a streamer accountable for not following TOS. And in line with that is obvious sexism with Twitch bans. Now, I'm not going to get into huge detail because obviously none of us really know the, the things that happen in, behind the scenes. But I've seen a lot of female streamers do a lot worse things than anything I've seen Dr. Disrespect do. I've seen a lot of male streamers do a lot of things worse than what Dr. Disrespect has done. But I've definitely seen a lot of female streamers get away with a lot more things than male streamers. And I'm not trying to say that female streamers have it easy because they don't. I actually think they have it. It's a lot harder to be a female streamer because of what Twitch chat wants to see when they come into a female stream. So it's a lot harder for them. But I do think Twitch has some pretty obvious sexism when it comes to Twitch bans and holding people accountable. I think Alinity back in the day is one of the good examples of that. You can search it up. She's done a lot of things to her cat, feeding her cat alcohol, throwing her cat across the room, which is a straight violation of TOS. She still streams on Twitch. So I don't know what kind of precedence Twitch is trying to set here, but it's obvious that there's at least a little bit of sexism with within the TOS and holding people accountable. Now let's get back to Twitch versus YouTube here. Lollywood moving, I think, was the biggest hit that Twitch took, even if they don't realize it. And the way that he described why he moved in the first place proves that they don't care about their streamers and only really care about the money that they make. He was hellbent and set on staying with Twitch, but he was going to use YouTube wanting him to his advantage to try and make more money on Twitch and at least have them give him a little bit more freedom to do a little bit of the things he wanted, the new innovative things he wanted to do on the platform. But they essentially told him, okay, well, good luck with that. And that in turn is what made him move to YouTube. I think that story alone, and there's some things that Tim the Tapman has said and, and, and Dr. Lupo has said, but I think that is a very, very telling and very obvious sign as to what Twitch thinks about their streamers. They're money bags. They're not people, they're money bags. Again, this is my opinion from what I'm seeing, but it's obvious to me that this is what's happening. I think with all the new additions coming to YouTube this year, they're getting a new chat UI, they're getting gifted memberships, they're overhauling the overall YouTube gaming algorithm, and they're also supposed to be getting some type of rating system, but that hasn't yet been discussed. I think YouTube is the future of streaming. It is going to be the platform. It is the future of streaming. It's just the not the streaming platform for right now. The problem remaining for YouTube is its chat culture, which Twitch thrives on. Twitch chat is its own subculture. It's a community and a neighborhood of like-minded people who speak their own language, have a hierarchy of groups within the community, and get more notoriety with the more money that they flaunt. We've all been in chat rooms like Tim the Tatman's chat room. You know, we have the gifters of 100, 250, 500, even 1,000. 
who he'll stop and talk to and thank and talk about how awesome they are. Twitch chat is a living, breathing ecosystem that Twitch has built upon over years and years and one that they created from inception. This ecosystem, it's very possible to be copied over to YouTube and built upon to be better and more stable, but it's something that's not going to happen overnight. It's something that will acquire big time streamers like Tim and Ludwig and Dr. Lupo switching over through choice for people to realize it has more than a fighter's chance to be the best streaming platform. It has a foundation of a better, more intelligent and enhanced platform that can be easily molded into the streaming service it needs to be. It has Google's algorithm built into it. It has Google's search algorithm built into it. They just need to tweak it to make it to where you can search for streamers much easier than you can now. If YouTube were to fix its chat and implement their version of raids and gifted memberships, the changes Twitch would need to make for it to catch up with YouTube would be so massive, I don't even think that they could do it. They would have to overhaul their UI, overhaul their search algorithm, which YouTube is already leaps and bounds better at, And all of those things are massive changes that I don't think Twitch has the capacity or the employees to do so. So right now, yes, Twitch is the streaming platform. It's the gold standard of streaming. It's where everybody wants to go to. And it's where even people who aren't aware of streaming know to go to to look for streaming. But YouTube is sitting in the back, learning from Twitch what it takes to become the best and finding ways to do it better and waiting for its moment to shine. So I personally think in the next two to five years that YouTube will be the streaming platform. Right now it's called YouTube gaming. I think that's going to change. I personally do a lot better with just chatting streams. And I personally like to be in just chatting streams a lot more than I do like to watch video game streams. And that's evolved over time. When I first got into streaming, I loved watching Fortnite. I loved watching Warzone. I loved watching all of those games. But now I've grown to prefer to be in the just chatting streams. You get to hang out with the streamer, get to know their personality a little bit more. And I think YouTube is realizing that, especially with Tim, who's a big just chatter at the beginning. First two hours of his streams, all he's doing is just chatting, going through TikToks, things like that. Those are key things that YouTube needs to realize. Obviously, everybody has their own niche that fits a particular platform. But I think generally speaking, YouTube is the best overall platform for small streamers and for medium-sized streamers. Larger streamers is where Twitch is going to thrive. And I think that will always be the case. Their culture is going to be unmatched and YouTube may be able to get close, but I don't think that culture could be matched completely. And I think that is where Twitch will thrive is at the top 1%. But I think for overall, for all streamers, I think YouTube is going to be the place to be. My name is McFly. To my right is Greg. What's up? And to my left is In Her Scope. Adios, turd nuggets. Bye. Falcon wings. <laughs> <laughs>